You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. Hello and welcome to the Southern Star's Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin. And I'm the digital manager, Jack McCarran. And each week we talk to people at the centre of the COVID-19 pandemic in West Cork and beyond. We will also take a look at that week's Southern Star newspaper and how our reporters all around West Cork are covering the pandemic and other news. This week we will also have some new music from Kilmurray-based alternative pop group Luna with a preview of their new album which launches this week. And also in this week's podcast, I will be talking to Marie Mulholland, the coordinator of the West Cork Women Against Violence Project, about the challenges for the project at a time which can be very frightening for women caught in an abusive relationship. But first, Jack, let's take a look at this week's newspaper. Yeah, the lead story on this week's front page of the Southern Star is a positive one, and it's by Jackie Kyo, and the headline reads, We're back to business we're back in business even so after weeks and weeks of uh, negativity on the front pages not just in the southern star but across every newspaper in the country and the wider world we have some positive news and um, i suppose this story covers the first phase in the return to normality whatever that's going to look like and in it jackie speaks to some of the, the businesses around west cork in particular skibbereen and clonakilty where businesses have started opening back up the story continues on page five and what i love about this story in particular is the conversation jackie had with michael thornhill of thornhill electrical in skibbereen who tells the story of his grandfather who was actually a victim of the spanish flu in 1918 so he'll understand the importance of social distancing and being careful as we reopen West Cork more than most he also has a great line too about being sold out of electrical hair grooming sets for men since the reopening because obviously if anyone's watching this on YouTube they'll see my hair has grown out to a near afro so I'll probably need to get in touch with Michael to see if he can order back in any electrical hair grooming kits but he's also keen to point out that he's not being sexist when he says the grooming kits are for men and he says women could also be in need of haircut with hair salons not yet open Siobhan no we're waiting for that one with uh, bated breath and uh, braided hair I think is um, probably the way Siobhan on, so, a, on, on oh, a less positive oh. note though Siobhan another story mm-hmm. on the front page involves the vicious attack of a 19 year old woman in oh, Bandon yes. recently yeah, this is a, a case we have been covering and it was back in court last week for sentencing. Um, a, a young girl, she was coming home for her 19th birthday early in the early hours of the morning in Bandon and she noticed somebody uh, following her and she went to make a call and he ran across the road and grabbed her phone and smashed it and um, grabbed her and started dragging her along the road. Now, she had the presence of mind to see that there were some young guys collected further on down the street so she uh, made no noise until she got up close to them and started screaming for help then and they did actually come to the rescue but not before she got a fairly bad um, wallop I think um, by the guy and the guy had earlier said to her that if she screamed she'd get an arrow into the back of the head. Traitor there got um, a four year jail sentence and the and the last 12 months suspended but uh, it just you know it's the kind of story that every woman and probably a few men too 
just it's, it brings kind of shivers down your spine to think that you could be walking home, you know, in a relatively quiet West Cork town and something like that to happen. Yeah, Siobhan, but, um, uh, just to stay with this one for a second then, because yeah. personally, I I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm easily shocked by anything I, I read in the newspapers and I read newspapers on a daily basis. But this story really stood out to me. I was shocked to read what this woman has gone through. This is a probably a life changing situation both oh, mentally and physically that she went yeah. through and to think that it happened on our doorstep in Bandon just really boggles the mind so um there's not much more yeah i mean she did she did submit a, a victim impact statement to the court but it wasn't made public by the judge but the judge um who read the read it themselves judge helen boyle did say that um you know that any woman should feel safe walking home in their own town and and the woman had actually made a comment that, you know, that she no longer feels safe walking about and she's constantly basically looking over her shoulder, I suppose, to see, you know, that is, is somebody following. So you can imagine that, that something like that, you know, you'd wonder would you ever get over it really, you know. So it is, it's quite shocking. If you saw it on the television in a crime drama in the US or somewhere, you'd, you know, you'd you'd get a shiver. But to think it happens on a That's small the thing. enough town in West Cork. The, vi- the violence involved is, is what really stands out. It wasn't a case where... And, and also... Go, go on. But what, I, what creeped me about it, I think, was that there was evidence that he had been stalking her for a while. And when the guards looked at the CZ, CCTV coverage, they saw him, you know, ducking in and out of cars and doorways, um, which must be very, really creepy fil- film footage to be watching. You know, it's someone ready to pounce on a on a innocent girl walking home on her own. So I suppose you know we just all have to be on our guard all the time, unfortunately. Uh, absolutely, and that story is on the front page of this week's Southern Star, with more detail inside on page two. Siobhan, on a more lighter note, then also on the front page is the story about erratic driving amongst motorists as West Cork starts to reopen. This one by Kieran O'Mahony, and I'm just going to read. The intro here quickly. Gardaí have received reports of erratic driving in West Cork as many rusty motorists return to the roads this week after two months of lockdown restrictions. And I actually put myself in this position when reading this story because the only driving I've been doing over the last two months has been to the shop and back, which is no more than three kilometres away on a country road. So up and down, up and down, up and down. And I shudder to think what's going to happen to me when I have to hit the motorways in the coming months because I fear that I might panic like some of these motorists (laughs) have been Uh, so I think slightly worrying that there is erratic driving going on especially with the numbers of people who have been using the quieter roads to walk, run, cycle etc but uh, still Well I have to admit I was one of those and I'm not a nervous driver by any means but I it was three weeks before I ventured into my car after the first lockdown and I went on my little trip to Super Value to get my shopping. And I have to say that um, I was actually nervous coming up to junctions and coming into the town for the first time. And then that on top of worried about had I gloves, had I enough uh, hand sanitizer, who was I going to meet? Was anyone going to stick their head in the window if I rolled it down? was just a little bit too much for me and it was another week before I ventured out again so I totally understand what's going on there I think yeah so I think uh, the the message has to be for drivers drive slowly and for walkers and runners be careful because there is 
erratic drivers coming up behind you. Now that may sound rusty old drivers. <laughs> rusty old drivers, exactly. <laughs> now Siobhan, you might lead us off on this story on page three, which involves the Witty Terminal. The headline is Witty Terminal is helping to store global oil reserves. You've obviously been quite close to the story uh surrounding the, the 40th anniversary of the Witty disaster uh, last year, but this is a more positive story revolving around the Witty oil terminal. Yes, it's a story by Jackie Kyo, our reporter who covers Bantry. And it's saying that there has been a glut in oil supplies, obviously of late, because there's not as much of a demand on oil. So a lot of oil tankers um, are finding, well, oil companies, that they don't have anywhere to store the oil because they weren't expecting this to happen, obviously. So you have oil tankers going around the globe very slowly, hoping that they're going to get a call to say, yes, we have somewhere for you to offload. So Whitty has come into play here. It already um, contains the national reserve anyway for the Irish government, but they do always have some spare capacity there. So now at this stage, they're um, in big demand. So you've had uh, quite an increase in the number of tankers there. I mean, uh, Jackie reports that uh, normally there would be um, about 15 tankers a year pulling in at Whitty and since January there have been 14 already so that will just show you the increase there now there's no talk yet of extra jobs no figures as such but it is expected that this will you know create some extra work for people in the area at the oil terminal which of course does have quite a quite a sad history but hopefully there's a little bit of good news for it at last absolutely and if we turn to page five now a story that won't make for enjoyable reading for anyone with a fear of bees or wasps especially at this time of year this is another story by jackie kyo and the headline reads air ambulance takes sting out of potentially tragic case in adrigal this is the story of a beekeeper who was essentially stung by one of her bees and within two minutes she had collapsed. And this is in Adrigal, which as many of our listeners will know is quite remote and not necessarily easily accessible for an ambulance to take you away to your local hospital. But thankfully the air ambulance was there within 20 minutes of the beasting, which I think not only the positive story out of this is that the lady in question was okay in the end, but I think it really highlights the importance of the air ambulance, especially for a region like Adrigal and the greater Castletown Bear area because it's not it, it's not feasible to think that an ambulance is going to be there to have you up to Bantry or even further to Cork within the right amount of time so and I think the, the lady in question has used her experience to, to, to push the message about the importance of the air ambulance Siobhan Yes, and it's a story we've covered a few times, and even I think in the first or second of our podcast, there was uh, we covered the fact that they were looking for money because they were really much, hugely in there, and still are hugely in danger of having to close this service because the funding has not come from the government that they need, and it is of course a very expensive service to run an air ambulance. But we are a very remote community here in West Cork, and as you say, you know, road ambulances just can't do it in the same amount of time. And I think this is a really good example of how a, a, what might seem like a small case and a rather insignificant one could have had huge repercussions for this woman because she had a reaction to the bee sting. And um, as a result of that, all her friends got together and set up a GoFundMe page for the air ambulance. 
And to date, well, to, to the day of going to press, they had raised 35,000. Now, it's a good lot of money, but I think it costs several thousand a day to run the service. So, um, you know, there's an awful lot more needed there. And at a time when we're spending absolutely millions on the health service, I really think, you know, this is really being overlooked by the, cover the current government. And it's an awful shame if this does get grounded because we've seen here now, you know, that even one case alone, could have, they could have saved someone's life. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, uh, they've been very busy since they did start. This is not a unique case by any manner of means. No. So, um, and just to further drive home that point, uh, I'll just read a quote from the piece, which is by Maeve O'Neill, who was the daughter of the, the person who suffered the bee sting in this case. And she said, I'm so grateful to ICRR for saving my life or this is the, actor, the lady who was stung by the bee, for saving my life. Without the ICRR air ambulance and local ambulance, we as a family could have a, could have had a vastly different outcome that day. So that's just further driving home the point about the importance of the air ambulance for this region. And Siobhan, before we wrap up, we'll be on page five, you have a story about Marie Mulholland, who we're going to be hearing from a bit more in a few minutes on the podcast. But... What has she to say? Well, uh, we recorded earlier and what she did say to me was that she was um, hoping to put out a call that they might be able to get some donations of PPE. Now, they have had a lot of financial donations and they've had a lot of people helping out and lots of offers of help. But she said this is one thing that if there is a company out there manufacturing that has any kind of surplus, now they don't want to step in the way of the frontline working um, agencies and services who need the PPE. But if there is anyone who is surplus or can provide anything extra to them, when they go back to work, um, you know, helping victims of domestic violence, either even face-to-face -face, um, consultations or going into the courts with them, they will probably need to use this. So they're just putting out a call. Look, if you do want to help, this may be one way that you could really help us. So you can hear the rest of that interview and um, a discussion there with Marie Mulholland about the situation in West Cork uh, after this uh, newspaper review. Um, before we do hear from Marie Siobhan, do you just want to touch on the front of the life and community section this week, which I'm sure has tongues wagging across West Cork. And it's uh, a story Emma Connolly has compiled, and it's basically getting the thoughts of West Cork college students on the global smash that is normal people on RTE, BBC and Hulu in the United States. I'm sure we don't have to explain too much what normal people is. Anyone listening probably has some understanding of what the phenomenon is all about. Firstly, were you surprised by any of what you read from these college students that, as the headline well, suggests, they, 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 they thought it was quite normal? Um, how did you read it? They did. Well, I think my, myself and Emma had a chat about this before we uh, got down to actually putting the piece together. And uh, we were kind of expecting a few, at least a few of them to say, oh, my God, that's crazy. It's, debo you know, it's debauched. My God, they're always <laughs> drinking and having sex. It's crazy. And it's nothing like that in UCC or Trinity. And, uh, but absolutely every single one of them said, no, that's spot. they got it spot on. And one of them said, it's like they're inside my head. So <laughs> apparently that is life today in college. I, I was in Rathmines in the 80s, and I have to say it wasn't quite that debauched. 
despite what people might think about the crazy 80s. Uh, so it's a really good read. It's really uh, funny and uh, four very bright people, one in UCC, one in Trinity, one in Cambridge and one in CIT, just talking about uh, their own view of the phenomenon that is the normal people TV series. Well, I, I have to just come in here on this one then because I was quite, quite surprised, uh, especially speaking to Emma, that she was so shocked that this was how um, the college students of today view the programme, that it is quite normal because like, like I'm no spring chicken, but I, I graduated six or seven years ago and although I was in UL and it probably wasn't quite as glamorous as Trinity College, there was no uh, sit-down dinners throughout my four years there. There was no um, red wine being drank over a feast or anything of that nature but like the the general day-to-day life the, the drinking the party and the, well I, I wasn't having we won't get into the, the other elements of it but to me it, it, it rang quite true just the, the the relationships they form the conversations they're having which is actually why I actually enjoy the show um, specifically because I think they've nailed it like just the the mundanity of life in many ways like they are not like normal people as one of the the contributors says danny collins like it's titled perfectly normal people it's about normal people and i think they've nailed they've nailed the college students there the way they the way they live their lives and yeah well, i was i was under the impression that all you you young people were having an awful lot less sex less drink less drugs than those who went before but apparently not but what I did think was really good, Jack, was that every one of them also made the point that what they did really nail was that sense of isolation when you leave a small country town where you know everybody and you have all your friends and you go to the big city and everyone tells you it's going to be fantastic, you're going to love college. And then for the first few weeks, you're really lonely and you're really out of your depth. You're like a small fish in a big pond and you find it really tough. And I did that. I moved from Cork to Dublin. I did find it strange at the start before I got into the rhythm of it. And I think that's, that's for me, what they really nailed in it as well. And this is reflected too in the piece. Yeah, so it's worth picking up the Southern Star for that piece alone, as well as everything else we've discussed so far this week. And don't forget, if you can't get to the shops to buy the Southern Star this week, you can subscribe online by going to www.southernstar.ie slash e-paper or just go onto the Southern Star homepage and click the e-paper tab alternatively you can call the office on 028 212 and we'll organize a postal copy to be sent straight to your front door the west cork women against violence project provides a safe confidential and non-judgmental support service for women experiencing violence in west cork This is a difficult and worrying time for the agency, with many of its regular clients unable, because of fear and intimidation, to make contact with the service. I spoke to Marie Mulholland, the project coordinator, about some of the challenges facing the service as a direct result of the lockdown. Now, Marie, you spoke to the Southern Star a few weeks ago about your own fears regarding what you call the silence on the phones, because you felt the number of calls you were getting since lockdown was way down on the normal number and you thought this is something of a warning sign. So what did you mean by that exactly? Um, it was a, certainly it was an experience that was also felt across the country uh, with our sister organisations and other domestic violence services. And um, I think what we've managed to do is to get the message out. A lot of what we thought was the, the reason why there weren't calls, first of all, is... It's very difficult to make a private call if you're in lockdown with your abuser 
Where are you going to go to get that privacy? Is it going to be safe to do that? So that was the first problem and a major one. And the second one was that I think a lot of women felt, well, sure, even where would I go? You know, where do we go when we're in lockdown? You know, we can't get to a refuge. We can't get to uh, emergency accommodation. How would we actually get out of this situation? So what became really important was to try and and address that and let women know that there were options that we certainly in West Cork, we had uh, located and we had sourced um, several uh, emergency accommodation apartments that could be used by women who need to get out of their homes. We had li- liaise with the Garda um, and we had worked out protocols to get women from A to B if they needed to with their children if that was if that was what the case was. So that, that took a couple of weeks to get into place, Siobhan, and it was really tough work because it's tough enough to try and do that under normal circumstances, but to try and do it at almost one or two steps removed is even more difficult. Obviously, we still can't address the issue of, you know, if women are in lockdown with an abuser, how do they get that safety space to make a call and ask for help? So what I did do uh, with yourself was I asked, uh, and in other articles that I wrote, I asked people who are neighbours or extended family, if you are concerned about somebody, don't err on the side of caution. Ring the guards or ring us and say, I'm worried about Mary. You know, uh, there's always been problems there. She's gone very quiet. She doesn't answer the phone. He, We know she doesn't, let, uh, doesn't get to uh, answer her calls. Whatever it is. Or if they've heard something. You know, if they're neighbours and they hear noises that they feel means that somebody is in trouble, they should ring the guards. So... When we got when we started to address those messages in that way, we started to see a change. We've already started to see an increase in the calls. And I also really want to spell out here how important the Garda Shikana have been in the West Cork Division. They have been excellent. And they have that new uh, national operation, FUISIV, um, where guards are going around the country and they're doing follow-up calls with anyone who was on their books where there have been domestic violence incidents or call-outs from anywhere from January to March of this year. They've gone back to those homes, checking on those women and children. Um, and what they've been doing, certainly in West Cork, is they've been giving them our details referring women to us and saying if there's any problems ring West Cork Women Against Violence and we've also been talking to them about some of the women that have contacted us and I just think that the the relationship that partnership working in partnership like that has really helped to provide you know a, a kind of a safety space for women who may need us and because you said it has improved since you put out that call so have the women you've been talking to, have they admitted that that was an issue originally? Like, has that fear been confirmed that they couldn't? I'm not sure. I, the fear was confirmed that they were, certainly we've had women who called us who um, have been afraid to call and couldn't get, a, didn't get a chance to call, but who then have now taken the risk to make the call, knowing that we are on the other end and that there is help. So well, we haven't specifically asked them, did you not call before because of problems? But they've been telling us in their encounters with us that this is that they now feel that they that they that they feel that there's a service out there, that they know the service is out there. A lot of times people didn't know what was available during this particular crisis and in lockdown. So it was really important to let them know. And you've seen the hashtag and the ads on the television. We are still here. And that has really been important as well. That's got the message out as well.
Right. Now, there's a message on your own website that says because of the lockdown, you can no longer offer face-to-face support or even mm-hmm. accompany women to court hearings. So what options can you give them in those instances? Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm, we're working very hard, and just this week with um, a lot of our uh, the sector, the domestic violence sector, to look at a phased reopening of all of our services so hopefully in the next few weeks we'll 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 be able to provide more than just the the, the support over the phone and the direction over the phone um and we're working to that end obviously so at the moment what we can do is we can give women the uh information that they need what their options are during this lockdown in terms of what kind of orders or protection orders safety orders barring orders are available we can actually help them write their statements we, they can do that over the phone with us and we'll type them out for them um the difficulty comes siobhan in that is how do women get to the courts you know how do you get i mean it's a difficulty anywhere in west cork in a place where there's so little public transport but who's going to mind those women's children they have to drag them to court with them they have to get to the courts um, and this is really, this has always been a problem in West Cork, and it's it's exacerbated now with the, the lockdown situation. So one of the major initiatives that we're working with nationally is to look at remote court hearings. Now that's that that's that's a service that is available in other parts of Europe. It's certainly available. I know that there's a, a there was a pilot project done up in Derry in Northern Ireland that is working really well. We know that there's remote court services available for prisoners who are currently in prison here in the Republic. So um, if they're waiting sentencing and they're on remand, that, that that can be done. So what we are asking and we're in negotiations nationally with the court service is for remote courts. That means if it was to work well, it would mean that if the woman, say, she could go to any community service, she could come to our service, she could use our IT, and we could do a Zoom with the judge in the courtroom. And he could hear the evidence over the Zoom or the Skype or whatever way he wants to do it. The problem comes in that, again, it's a West Cork problem, is our broadband connections. I'm not aware of any court service or any of the, the actual courthouses in West Cork, apart from maybe Bantry, that have access to broadband um, and have the facilities. So it's it's the way of the future. I think some of what we're seeing now in terms of how we work, all of us, is indicating, it's signposting the way of the future. But we need to get some of that infrastructure in place to make it workable. And can you get a protection, a protection or a barring order at the moment? Are the courts still? Yes, here? you can. Okay, and so that yes. is the courts. Yes, the court service is as as part of their the priority that has been given domestic violence during this crisis. Um, has only been hearing family law cases, specifically domestic violence cases. So the orders are they're the they're the cases that are being heard. But the practicality of getting to court. Uh, and it's very off-putting for women. You know, we will tell them about the orders and how to get one, and we'll walk them through it. We'll help them with the paperwork, but it's the actual practicality of getting to court and and being having the case heard. That's where the difficulty. Fall, that's where we fall down. That's where the real difficulty is. But yes, there have been some orders, and certainly the courts are hearing those as a priority. Right now, you've also mentioned that. 
this whole crisis has highlighted some flaws in the services and especially you've spoken about the lack of refuge space in particular. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? I know you had been making good progress in that area yourselves, providing safe homes, am I right? Yep, yep. Um, what, it, what it's thrown up is, uh, I think this the, the pandemic has shown the flaws in, in lots of infrastructure that we have um, across the country on, on, on different uh, um, where places were concerned. Quite a few of the refuges that are available in Ireland are communal living spaces. So in a pandemic, this is not where you want to be. So um, so we have the very, there's quite a few, of the, like for instance, Cork, Coonley Refuge is uh, a communal living space. Um, it's the same up in Dundalk, uh, across the country, there's quite a few others that are communal living spaces, which means that everybody lives and shares kitchens, playrooms for the kids. Um, what you only have is your own bedroom, and that's the only the separate space you have. Refuges where they have what is called almost own door accommodation, where you have a little apartment and you walk into it and then you're in your own safe space, that's great. But the communal living refuges, they've literally had to, to decant. They've had to get the women out of there and to find other emergency accommodation. So that has, that's been a real issue since day one of the pandemic. In terms of our own situation here, I had been having a great time, <laughs> to be honest, Siobhan, viewing all these wonderful houses to buy a, a safe house and, uh, and had actually been back to see a couple of properties that I was interested in just literally the week, be- the week before the crisis hit. Um, so I've had to put that on hold. I think, too, it may well influence my own thinking on this, and I, I, I'd be going back to my board about it. If we're going to have to live with COVID-19 um, beyond this immediate pandemic, I mean, if it's something that's going to be there in the environment, that's going to be on the agenda for a while to come, maybe we need to really look at the safe house model. Um, the safe house that I have been looking at was the idea was it would be big enough for one family, a mother and her kids, but also maybe a single woman as well at the same time. So where we would have to look at a safe house that would only ever house one family at a time. So maybe we need to look at a safe house and maybe a small apartment for women who are on their own without children. So need to go back to the drawing board. Not too much, but I think there's, you know, it's making us all have to rethink things again in the new normal as it was. And if somebody comes to you now at the moment, Marie, looking for refuge, what are your options at this this very moment in time? Oh, they're very good. They're very good. We work really hard. We have three um, emergency apartments that have been very generously um, uh, assigned to us by the property owners um, that were available. And so if women, and, and it would, they're big enough for women and children. So uh, there is no problem at all. If someone needs to get out of where they are and they need a safe space for the rest of the duration of this pandemic or until they can get to court and get a barring order and get back to their own home because the barring order means that the perpetrator has to leave, we have somewhere safe for them. And it's it's somewhere that's where they can access shopping facilities, et cetera, which they're all going to need. And we will have some of the supports for the children uh, in there to keep the kids um, entertained and amused, et cetera. So we have a whole protocol the guards are going to work with, are, are working with us on that. So we have space. Don't let the fear of not having anywhere to go 
make you stay in a dangerous space, we can help you get out of there. Right. Now, you've spoken to me before about the lack of understanding in many services and government departments about the true nature of domestic violence. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's... um. People are very good. They understand crisis. They understand immediacy. They understand someone is a physical risk or emotional um, risk and they need to be helped now. What they what is harder for people to, I think, um, contemplate or comprehend is that domestic violence is a, a dynamic. It's it's kind of it's a circle. It keeps going on. It goes round and round and round. So you often get other professional services going, oh, God, it's not her again, is it? Why doesn't she leave him? You know, oh, no, we've got to go back out to that house again. Or, you know, and not understanding that there are women who have been living with control in their lives with coercion in their lives who are being told that they will never see their children if they leave or if they tell anyone else about what's happening to them at home um if they in any way cooperate with the guards who may be called out by a neighbor or social workers they're terrified of losing their children the abuser is telling them they're bad mothers they're bad mo- mother mothers they're bad wives they're no good in the bedroom they can't cook they're stupid they're thick and if you hear that often enough you start to believe all of those things and it's your fault you're in some heart inadequate you're not good enough and it's understanding that emotional erosion that goes on and the pre- and and why that prevents women from a reaching out for help or or from or from leaving their abuser that they have to understand that it's a process and that we have to give women pathways and stay with them along those paths but at the end of the day it is their their decision to make and they need to know that when they make that decision that we're all going to be there for them but we also as service providers we also need to understand that they are the ones who are best aware of when it is safe to make a decision and when they're ready to make that decision. It's a bit like you can bring a horse to water. You can't make it drink. It has to be really thirsty before and it has to be really, really, every other option has been, you know, every other has, has just been expounded and found wanting and this is now the only place that they can go to. And I think we have to understand that, that women... Only, only leave when they're really desperate and there's nothing else to do. And they've tried everything else. They've tried to, they've tried to, I suppose, go along with their abuser. They've tried to be better. They've tried to keep them calm. They've tried not to annoy them or upset them or let the children upset them. But that's never going to work because that's never going to be what this is about. This is about control for perpetrators and to make, you know, a woman will say, you know, he will say, I want you to jump. And she'll say, OK. And he said, no, but I want you to jump higher than that. And it will always be like that, you know. And that has to be understood by professionals. Yeah. And do you think that we might see quite a spike in the... Um need for services after this. One would imagine that a pandemic is probably the worst possible situation to be in if you are in a relationship with someone who is abusive. So are you kind of bracing yourself for a rise rise in figures maybe, you know, when when we do come out of this, that maybe there's a lot of women who will even never get to you until restrictions are relaxed? Yeah, absolutely, Siobhan. Um, 
we know that that's probably what's going to happen. And so we're trying to prepare for that both within our own service and throughout the other services um, to ensure that we have the response that we can make. I mean, at the moment, while we have the service, the service that we're operating in the minute, we have one support worker in the office every single day taking calls. Uh, and we do that on a rota. We're obviously just doing one person in the building in order to keep that person safe as well. But while that's ongoing, we've had a whole new phone system um, installed just yesterday that is going to give us more lines. So we're getting ready for that. That's one of the ways that we're getting ready for that. The other way that we're getting ready for it is we're trying to source the PPE that we need to be able to try and and uh, eventually do the one-to-one, do the outreach work that we need to do as well, because women can't always get to our office in Bantry. That's always been the case. So we've always prided ourselves that we'll go to them wherever they are, obviously not to their home, um, because that wouldn't be safe. But, you know, if a woman wants to meet us in a library, we've met women in car parks and sat in their cars. We obviously can't do that anymore. Um, but we need to find more innovative ways of doing that, because we expect a spike as soon as the lockdown is called off, because that's the only that's that's eventually when women are going to be able to get to the phones or to get away or to get into their car and and, and come to the office. And like, is technology like this maybe an option? A Zoom consultation on a phone in a car park? It could be if it would work in the car park. Absolutely, yeah, it definitely could. And um, as you know, we always have to be very careful around um, technology because quite a lot of abusers would track women via technology. So they'd be looking at their emails. They would maybe, they'd be looking at where the women have been browsing if they've been on our website or our Facebook page. Um, so we have to be very careful. And we always, as part of the protocols about getting women to safety, we tell them what to do with their technology. We tend to switch it off because some, even your mobile phone will have a GPS to it and it could be tracking you through the GPS. So we have to be careful around that. So it's always, it's like any safety plan. It's, we have to do safety planning with women and we have to consider all of those things. But I think you're right. I think, as I said earlier, this technology and the situation that we've been in with regard to the pandemic is starting to point to new ways of working um, that we haven't maybe considered before. Right. Now, you would like to see some changes to the laws, I think, regarding domestic violence, Marie. You've been kind of lobbying for that. So what in particular would you like to see changed? Um, I think certainly, I mean, our, our we see it every day and, you know, we see it in, in, in the media every day uh, where abusers have been brought to court. And, I mean, they're getting off with a slap on the wrist, you know, they're getting off with a couple of months. Um, and these are serious assaults on women. And, and in fact, that's the other thing. I think a lot of them are attempted murder. And one of the areas that I would personally like to see dealt with is one of the um, one of the most serious and most dangerous signs or red flags that that we look for when someone has told us that they're being physically abused is choking. If the abuser has tried to choke her. Uh, because choking is an attempt at murder. It's an attempt to kill someone. So choking for us is a, is a, red, is a big red flag. If a woman tells, tells us that there was a big row and that he tried to choke her and that she passed out, then we're looking at someone who's not going to stop there. 
in terms of their abuse. They're going to take it till she doesn't just pass out, but she's actually dead. I think war choking has been part of physical abuse and domestic violence. That really needs to be seen as an attempt at murder and it has to be sentenced accordingly. And that's one of the areas that I'd really like to see a change in because you would be you would be surprised at the number of victims who talk about having been choked on a regular basis. Is is there a precedent for that in other jurisdictions where they've been able to use choking as a, a signal? Certainly, um, yes, so gosh, uh, right across the domestic violence services, choking is seen as a major red flag, uh, that this is a very serious case of domestic violence, and it's, it's escalating. When it's choking, it's escalating, the violence is escalating. I mean, one of the other signs, um, some people may be surprised that is that uh, we will have a number of red flags that we look for. The other one is um, is cruelty to animals. If he is kicking the dog, the family dog, if he's threatening to kill the cat because he knows she loves the cat or the dog or the kids love it, that's a real sign of escalating abuse. Even if he doesn't kill the animal, but the fact that he's threatening to do it or that he's, he's, he's cruel to it, that is another sign of, of serious abuse. And so we would be, the, the, those always, that, that, that in our risk assessment, those are the, the red flags that we say, this is a very high risk case. But the choking really needs, needs to be responded to in terms of, of, of justice issues, in terms of penalties. And have you seen any progress in that area from the Department of Justice? We will be. I mean, I, I mean, I think all of this is this is about understanding what domestic violence is. Um, there have been changes to the law that we totally welcomed. I mean, the change last January, I think it was, around the um, acknowledgement of coercive control. That was so important. It, it's still though. Um, it still hasn't permeated down to a lot of frontline services. A lot of organisations and service providers still don't understand what coercive control is. And coercive control is, it can be as damaging as physical abuse. I mean, we've had clients who've said to us, look, the bruises go away. The physical bruises eventually fade. But what he does to your head, that sometimes is there for a very, very long time. It needs real professional support to, to address it. But it's, um, so coercive control is where someone is being controlled so much that, I mean, we've had women had to ask permission to go to the toilet. Um, she's not allowed to go to do her own shopping for the family. Uh, she will make a list that he will do the shopping because he wants to be in control of what everybody eats. And he will also ration what everybody eats. And not because they're poor, but because this is about control. Um, and so coercive control is something, it's like being, it's like being in lockdown all the time but without any of the, the good parts of hanging out with your family or enjoying watching TV or making nice meals. And it's very difficult to prove, I'd imagine, in a court situation. Have you seen it being enacted at all, the new law? Oh, yes, it is. I mean, there's enough there, there, there's enough uh, evidence that, that can show course of control, if you know what you're looking for. And particularly if women come to the, like, of a service like ours, we know what to look for and we can help her compile that evidence 
that she and that she can then take to court. Um, so it's just I think that there needs to be a lot more training with, with others, with social workers and guards, and, uh, and and sometimes even childcare workers, because you can often see it in the children if there's been coercive control at home. Um, you'll see that a child isn't quite as boisterous or or bouncy or is always asking permission for the smallest things, you know. Um, so often we have found that childcare workers, the light will go on and go, something's not right here with the way this kid, you know, the kid is not smiling, the kid is not enjoying life. Um, and so we'd like to do more work with childcare workers, teachers and schools so that they can recognise this as well. Now, Marie, I would imagine that in light of the lockdown, your fundraising efforts are probably under a bit of strain as well. So how are you managing that or or have you had to think outside the box as regards getting the funds in? I have to say, Siobhan, it's the least of our problems at the minute. People in West Cork are so kind so generous i keep saying this i'm all you know you know i'm from belfast with this accent i'm constantly bowled over by west court and the generosity in this community we just had a lovely thing happen recently i don't know if you noticed it but there's a, a great little uh, restaurant in bali the hall bali beer and it does uh, some wonderful thai food and the the proprietor there ran uh what she was doing was that uh, every time someone bought a side with her with their main order his or her main order whether it was a, a cold drink or a portion an extra portion of chips that money was going into a fund uh it was literally going into a tin and that was for west court women against violence and it's it was just so generous and such a lovely thought and just so innovative as well you know so i mean and we've still had people ringing us up and saying look we have something to donate here What's your bank account details? Whatever people have remembered us, and and we're they are so kind, really so kind. And is there anything people can donate to you now other than hard cash? Are you looking for any supplies or food, or is there anything people can do if they want to help you out? Um, at the moment, um, I suppose, and I've had a couple of lovely donations as well. We're trying to get the. Uh, I would ask you if, if there are people out there who are making masks, if we can have some of those. Um, you know, I know that there are other people in more need in, front, in terms of frontline services, but if there were additional ones, we'd be really interested in having those because we're going to need those masks when we start to, uh, you know, kind of start to reopen again. We'll need them for our staff. We'll also need them for the clients as well because we'll ha- I would so much like to be able to do the court accompaniment again and to, to go with women's court. We don't know how the courts in West Cork are going to be as you know, they're very small. The rooms are very small. Our, our courtrooms are quite small. So the whole idea of social distancing might be difficult, but it might just be one case going in at a time. So if there were PPE ma- or any, anybody making masks that are reusable, would love to have them because that will really help us get back on track again to to kind of reopening some of the services. I know that sounds like a small thing, but it's actually quite a big thing at the moment. <laughs> Everything helps. Everything saves money, I yeah. suppose. And uh, so that brings me to my final question, really, which was if somebody wants to reach out to you, whether it's for a donation or whether it's for help, what are the best ways to get you at the moment? Now, bearing in mind that some people won't want to use their computer, of course, as well, or maybe even technology. So how can they get to you? 
Um, we've had we've had women email us. We've had women leave messages on our Facebook page. Um, I would suggest they only do that if they feel it's safe to do it. The main way is still by phone. I have there's a support staff on the phones Monday to Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, and you can call us at 027-53847. And we also have a, a helpline service, an 1800 helpline service. Um, but the, those those calls will go straight to the main line anyway. And, you know, I don't think I have the helpline number with me, the 1800 it number. Well, it's all on the Facebook page and on the website. Yeah. And just give me that 027 number again, Marie. 027 8447 and there's someone on the other side of that phone from 9 a.m to 5 p.m monday to friday 027-538-47 great yeah. okay listen marie thank you so much and look after yourself you too keep well and thanks everybody for all the support really appreciate it This week's music comes from Sarah Beth Mullen, a singer-songwriter based in Kilmurray and the band Luna. They have just released their new single, Just Give Enough, from the album of the same name. You can check out the album on Spotify. We'll have links for the album on Spotify in the description. Have a listen to the single here. Now won't you Southern Star Coronavirus Podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie